So hi everyone, welcome to the first uh, Delta podcast. So our podcast will have a wide range of guests, each with their own thoughts and evidence related somewhat to human performance. Uh, please follow us and then help us develop our exciting new venture. So currently uh, we're in a global pandemic and the impact that this may have on athletes is pretty much unknown. So training schedules may have been changed, athletes adjusting to their plans, uh, maybe using different equipment to maintain some level of their sporting fitness. And one such issue that athletes may face is how to maintain muscle mass or fat-free mass during this time. Uh, so I'd just like to welcome our inaugural guest, Matt Holmes. Hi, Matt. Hi, Mark. You're right. Yeah, I'm good. Thank you. So just to let you a bit info about Matt. So Matt's a lecturer at University College Birmingham. He's also the programme lead for the Sport and Fitness Studies course. He's got an undergraduate degree in sports science and a MSc in exercise and nutrition science. And he's also an NSCA certified strength and conditioning specialist. Uh, 2018, he was part of a group of academics who published an article on the magnitude of rapid weight loss and rapid weight gain <clears throat> Excuse me, in combat sport athletes. And I will hopefully try and add the link to that paper so you can have a read of it uh, later on. So hi again, Matt. If you can just give us a quick overview of what we're hopefully going to be discussing today and then we'll get on chatting. Yeah, well, um, obviously it's an uncertain times at the minute. So there's a lot of things that people might be experiencing in relation to, well, do they want to change their training? How they're actually going to maintain lean body mass? And uh, there's a few things that maybe we want to uh, talk about in relationship to that. So maybe what their the current climate is and how it's going to affect them. Um, what training approaches maybe they should adopt or consider adopting? And then... Um, Obviously, the nutrition side of it as well. So how could they uh, use nutrition to try and maintain that lean body mass? So There's maybe sort of three or four sort of areas we could discuss, Mark. Brilliant. Sounds good to me. So we'll I'll start with the first one then. So what are we going to kick it off with for our first bit um, of a chat? Maybe just ad- address what people are experiencing at the minute. So obviously, we're in lockdown. It's almost like this, this new climate for everyone. Uh, people are... Stuck within the houses, there's limited opportunity to go out. Um, and for people who exercise, that means that they'd probably have to modify their training or, um, well, maybe reconsider their, their whole approach to exercise. Uh, so it's probably a yeah, very um, confusing time in, in relation to that. And, and when I think of uh, exercise and training, I think of, um, well, what are their behaviors towards exercise and training? And they're going to have to modify all those behaviours that are in place currently. Yeah, so I guess we've got those people who are training for something specific, <clears throat> so whether that means that they're competing at any particular level or those that just like their general fitness. So certainly from my point of view, uh, I live um, out in Chester and it's quite nice to see people out on their bikes, uh, keeping their distances apart, but I guess not all of them are training for anything. They just might have grabbed their bike that's been sat in the garage for a a couple of years or something, grabbed it and gone for a bike ride. So I guess those that are doing unaccustomed exercise, there might be an issue. Those that are doing normal exercise that they've done before might be an issue. And those that are actually training with something, there might be some things to consider, I guess, between them all. Yeah, definitely. And that's it. It depends on um, their current training status um, to whether going and doing doing a lot of training is going to be bad or not. So it's great to see, like like you said, I, I've seen more people out and about doing exercise than, uh, than I normally would, which is great to see um, as long as, um, yeah, they're, they're maybe not stressing themselves out too much. And uh, and, and that comes on to, I guess, guess one of these points about um, it, it's a stressful time at the minute. 
and, and exercise is a stressor as well. So we've got to be careful about how much stress someone would, would put on the body and what they can adapt from. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So again, I'm not sure if we've got the time to specifically go into the whole exercise and immunology, but again, is there any any sort of way we could deliver that in a couple of sentences so people understand the effect of exercise and maybe stress on the immune system just to get them aware? Uh, yeah, well, um, obviously, in, in this, well, with COVID-19, um, people are potentially uh, more vulnerable to 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 getting that specific condition. But if we were to talk about um, uh, that side of things really briefly, um, s- stress on the body and how it leads to illness uh, depends uh, – well, oh, God, I'm going in circles, Mark. <laughs> right. Um, so in terms of pro- what I'm saying, I, I guess – I guess in terms of our, our, our exercises then, some exercise would probably say is beneficial. Uh, too much would be sort of negative. Um, and hardly any exercise would be particularly not particularly good for us as well. So I guess we're, we're probably trying to say to people that they need to be doing something, uh, probably not doing too much, but it's how they, I guess they would monitor doing too much without the, you know, without the equipment that we would see in a lab or whatever else. But we're trying to maybe promote that people do get out and do something. If it's unaccustomed, they just maybe need to be aware of what they're doing. But if they're accustomed to it, they probably should be able to know what they can get away with before they get some kind of immune response that's in an, in a negative sort of manner, I guess, really. Yeah, that sort of relates back to that J-shaped curve concept, isn't it? Yeah. Where yeah. if you don't do much exercise, then you would have a moderate susceptibility to uh, getting illness. Uh, yeah. Exercise in... Uh, moderate values in, in amounts that people can cope with would have a protective effect to so be beneficial to your immune system. But then after that, anything that would be deemed as higher stress loads could then lead to uh, more likelihood of getting illness. Yeah, good, good. Yeah, so definitely there's people outside seem to be doing a lot more, but as, as we said before, the start of the podcast, we don't actually know what they did beforehand. It just seems to be a lot of people doing outside compared to what we normally see, but we'd expect that if they've got their hour a day to get out and do something. But there seems to be quite a lot of people in um, lots of Lycra um, who <laughs> may be going out for more ex- more or longer periods than the, um, the sort of go out for an hour or two and do some exercise. But that's, I guess, if that's their habitually used to that, then they probably haven't tra- changed their training schedule that much. Yeah, and 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 that's. Um... That's that's what needs to be considered, really. So we, we need to look at the, in, the entirety of the day and think how it relates to what their experiences were previously. So if over that day they used to do a fair amount of physical activity and exercise was something they did embedded in that normally, then that's what their normal day used to look like. But this now new environment might mean that they don't do much physical activity during the day, so they're relatively sedentary for the most part, and then they do their exercise stimulus that they used to, then all that's happened there really for those individuals is they've just reduced overall physical activity and reduced energy expenditure somewhat. But that's that's one type of person. This could be someone who didn't used to do very much anyway, and now they've just added in that exercise bout. And as long as they can, uh, uh, they can cope with that exercise, it's not really a problem. But if it is that somebody's going onto the balcony and going, oh, well, I'm going to run a marathon now, which uh, 
which is an example of what someone did. Uh, I don't you know. Have, yeah. <laughs> um, then potentially they're going to be vulnerable uh, yeah. if they yeah. if they can't if they're not used to that that stimuli. Yeah. Does that sort of lead us on to this energy expenditure um, or decreased and increased in terms of how they might moderate their diet? So you, I know we we sort of had a list of saying we might look at cooking habits. Mm-hmm. Um, you know how they how they sort of monitor what food's going that's been expended. Would that be? Yeah. Well, um, once again, like like as you sort of introduced at the start, it sort of depends on context of who we're dealing with here. So is, is this um, is this sporting people or, or non-sporting people? Um, but there's there's been a lot of research uh, currently coming out about this this concept of low energy availability, um, which is people having um, well less less energy intake than uh, than they require for the day. Now. In the current climate, we might suggest that that's un, that's probably less likely to happen because we could uh, assume that people are actually doing less activity now than they used to. Um, so people uh, might actually be in a calorie surplus and might actually be gaining weight. However, if, if we're thinking from a, a sporting individual context in which this has come along, this problem, and we're like, well, obviously my, my training is, is, is going to be affected now. And they might go, well, maybe I need to just completely change my training goals. Maybe now's an opportunity to actually do a cut. Now's actually an opportunity to go into energy deficit. Um, the challenge is it's trying to work out how much energy someone has in this in this current scenario. Like we said before, if they're, if they're not doing much activity other than a training session, it might be quite challenging to work out um, how much energy they want whether that's maintenance, whether that's uh, uh, a reduction of calorie intake. So yeah, so normally we would just yeah. multiply by a factor, wouldn't we, to say you're, that you, you do a lot of exercise, you do medium, not very much, mm-hmm. and that would give us our overall sort of estimated calories for the day, wouldn't it? That would be our traditional method of doing it, mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah, well, that's people, it. So, and we don't have a, a COVID you know, factor to multiply at the moment, do we? So it's going to be mm-hmm. quite difficult for people to try and work out if they're just going by, a, you're working out their calories per day, what mm-hmm. they actually need. So in terms yeah. of maintaining lean body mass, then what, in terms of, we, we've got a list of saying we might talk about energy balance, structured eating, uh, protein distribution. So let's, let's sort of say we're dealing with athletes of some respect. So they wouldn't necessarily have to be elite, but they, they have some kind of structured training. And what sort of things might we consider in terms of our structured eating and protein distribution that might help these guys out? Yeah, so so if we've got someone who so is a trained individual, and and the focus that we said about was we want them to maintain lean body mass, don't we? So with this current climate, try and maintain that. So the the things that from a nutritional perspective uh, is that they want to maintain energy balance or maybe even a slight surplus. And as you said, there's crude ways in which you can assess that. So you could work out basal metabolic rate where there's loads of different calculators and you can use physical activity levels, like you just said. So this, this PAL calculation, which is a simple multiplication of that. Um, more, more recently, um, that's it. People have started doing this um, um, uh, energy for the work required sort of concept in which you consider, well, how much energy am I actually doing? How much energy am I burning up in that actual session? So they could do a prediction of how much energy has been burned in that session. That they could modify that calculation based on that a little bit. But yeah, it starts getting a bit complicated, this predictive approach of how much energy do I need? So 
generally, it might be some of the things that, that, that you've suggested that might be more important. So if they want to maintain lean body mass, the building block of tissue is, is proteins. So we, we're talking about protein and amino acids here. So with, with proteins, we don't necessarily have, have a depot of proteins. So it, it's really built into tissues. So that means that proteins really need to dis, be distributed throughout the day. So when we're having meals, we really want protein in every meal that we have. And um, really, we want reasonable quantities of these. And that could be, depending on the size of the individual, anywhere from sort of 15 to to 40 grams of protein but they want protein every meal and um what we often see is when people having meals it depends on which meal of the day would have higher protein quantity so often breakfasts people get less protein in and then they overcompensate with a large protein bolus on the evening whereas maybe protein distribution throughout the day would would be a better idea if lean body mass maintenance is a, a priority yeah, so how, so initially then, in terms of working out their protein requirements, are we are we going by our standard? We just set a percentage, and then just multiply that by the the calorie of protein, and say right, you need and divide that through I don't know by four meals per day, and so that's what mm-hmm. you need. Would that be our our most simplified yeah, well, way of doing it? Do we think? Or yeah, so unfortunately, um, the answers aren't always aren't always simple because there's. There's sort of different information out there on, on what should be recommended. So you can find recommendations based on lean body mass. Yeah. So that takes into consideration what actual tissue do they have as in functional tissue in the first place. So you can use that. You can do um, grams per kilogram body weight. So overall, just what's your mass and, uh, and work it out based on that, um, which once again, it, it depends on the context of how much that would be. But often we look in sort of 1.2 to 1.6 for for normal to trained individuals. But the more strength based you get, the higher well, strength and power, I should say, the more requirements for protein you might need. Yeah. So you can use that. And like you said, you would then want to distribute it throughout the day. Um, However, um, the sort of literature is sort of suggesting that um, size, well, it doesn't seem to be much difference in how much protein you should have in a meal based on actual mass as a whole, which is counterintuitive. So the the literature is sort of shown that people would probably want between 20 and 40 grams per meal, regardless of your actual size as an individual. so so generally those meals throughout the day how large that amount would be between the 20 and 40 you might modify based on your body mass however um generally um up to now there's this sort of consensus that around the 20 grams nearly maximizes protein synthesis from that bolus yeah Yeah. Um, so it just means to be the heavier athlete they're probably going to have more meals per day so the frequency of meals will probably have to increase then to to, yeah to, to make sure they, they get that like 100 kilogram athlete they need they say they need 200 grams a day of protein mm-hmm. you divide that by your 40 grams you've got five meals per day of 40 grams each haven't you exactly because that's you wouldn't want them to have 10 10 meals of uh, 20 grams that'd be a, that'd be a lot of eating <laughs> <laughs> so we can scrub that off the recommended list that 10 meals a day at 20 grams uh, <laughs> probably not advisable otherwise you are waking up at three in the morning to get another uh, 20 grams yeah. down you Although I have seen bodybuilders who seem to be forever eating. 
Yeah, we might lead ourselves down to a disordered eating path, which we I mean, <laughs> want to go down. So we've got an idea, really, I guess, that we've got some kind of energy balance, um, sometimes structured eating and then protein distribution, which is great. So is there anything else on that? Is the, is the type of protein important for us? Are we, are we leucine heavy or are we, is there anything out there that might say, or we're just going complete protein? And Yeah, what, so, what um, so generally, a starting point would be that you, you want to try and have complete proteins, uh, and by complete proteins, I mean they would have all of the amino acids in order to um, to synthesize proteins. Um, so depending on the quality of that protein, uh, we really want those complete proteins. If we were to have proteins that have not all the amino acids, then you'd really want a variety of foods to ensure that we were to get all those amino acids. So ideally, we'd want... Um, Complete proteins, but even even complete proteins, uh, some like you said, might have a higher leucine content, which have been shown shown to be um, uh, slightly better for 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 leading to protein synthesis. Uh, but yeah, preferably uh, complete proteins, which sort of depends on your your dietary approach, whether that's an easy job or not. So people who uh, eat meat, that's that's meat and dairy. They're they're all very good sources of uh, complete yeah. proteins. That might be more challenging for people with more restricted diets. So our, our sort of vegans and vegetarians might really consider a wider range of protein sources just to try and make sure they get that complete. Yes, yeah, so they might want to have uh, complementary sources. So. Um, that's it. We might be thinking about what what ratios of, uh, of pulses and and different um, grains that they use. Uh, so as long as there's there's plenty of variety, but but still need to be thinking what are strong uh, high sources of protein that are available to them. And and often athletes have already considered this, so they'll have soy soy protein. They might even consider supplementation, so you can get pea proteins and soy protein as a supplement as well. Yeah, definitely. So again, if they're not getting that amount they need of 200 grams per day, if that was the case, they might have to have the, the protein shake, but that protein shake would come from pea protein or soya, Yeah, which yeah. might be the, the the obvious way of doing it. Good. So I think we've probably now got an idea. We've 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 touched on our protein distribution. So we sort of move on to um, exercise or training, exercise selection. We've got limitations based on the kit available, which would be quite probably quite a nice discussion to to go on yeah, so definitely. i've seen lots of stuff online of people posting videos including yourself um, oh, yeah. posting videos of doing that outdoor workout so yeah you know, what sort of limitations do we have in terms of exercise selection and yeah and, and this is tough isn't it because it depends on um the, the knowledge of the athletes so their, their current training uh they may have have opportunity to train uh, using pretty advanced equipment um and equipment that most people don't just have in their house as well so it's whether they have the know-how to modify that training stimuli to provoke the adaptation they want. So if they were doing tra- traditional, what we deem as hypertrophy training, um, they might struggle to do that with with body weight resistance. Um, so if we if we think of of when people are training hypertrophy, the the old school traditional way was eight to twelve sort of repetitions. Um, one and a half minute rest periods and that was your hypertrophy uh inverted commas uh training zone now now research has really uh moved on really from that sort of concept 
it's a lot of, I guess, um, Brad Schoenfeld's work on yeah. whether the training, uh, whether the training load is really what's important, or if it's just the overall exercise, um, uh, well, stress on the body more so, in which you can do uh, lower load, higher repetitions, and still evoke hypertrophy, and you can yeah. do higher loads. Um, so this it's it's not what it, what people used to think it was now because of that really people shouldn't be so concerned about um getting that stimuli to lead to hypertrophy or maintain what they've gained because they can do lower load exercise and still maintain or provoke hypertrophy yeah. uh, they just need to think about how they're going to do that training because uh, they they don't want the load to be uh, so low that they are doing this extended training set, which then arguably starts going into anaerobic or even aerobic training rather than our traditional, what we deem as resistance. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean let's take a strength athlete maybe that <clears throat> bodyweight exercises to failure potentially might be a, a, a key way of doing it. Things like isometrics. So we could potentially you know, stand on a towel, grab hold of each end of it and, do a mid-thigh pull for however many seconds, maximal isometric, couldn't we? That might be something that people might want to consider depending if they're able to do so. Yeah, definitely. As long as they're, um, it's that discipline of you ensuring that you're, you're putting the intensity into that. So, so with isometrics, it's just ensuring that you are getting as, as, as close to maximal muscle contraction that you can during that. So um, as long as you're not lazy with the approach you're doing. And, and obviously, we, we can modify exercises. Like people think of it as like progression. Um, it doesn't have to be progression, as in uh, how how fancy the exercise looks. It's just how how load bearing it is. So if that is that you are doing, you're, you're often doing squats, but you obviously have a very loaded bar. Well, how can we change that exercise to still put load on the body? So if that's suddenly uh, unilateral rather than bilateral, if that's a pistol squat. Yeah. So you start going, okay, so how can I uh, lead to that relative load being challenging on the body? Yeah, which I guess for most sporting athletes doing unilateral and not staying in a singular plane is probably not a bad thing to be doing anyway, I guess. But, yeah, but for those in a gym just on a leg press then, just to build a sort of lower limb hypertrophy, then going singular, unilateral would be quite a relatively straightforward thing to change wouldn't it you just do as you yeah, say definitely. pistol squats or pitcher squats or mm-hmm. anything where you'd be able to load it individually just by putting a rucksack on your back filling it with a few books and doing exactly. some doing some single leg work which would be quite nice which is yeah, relatively straight um are we are we in a bit of danger of just going into dare i say it's sort of back back garden circuit training style or, or you know is that going to have any detriment or do you think that'll be a more maintenance of some kind of level of strength or well yeah, so so it, it depends on, on on what like I I think it it, it can work. That's it. Like all you need yeah. space, isn't it? And and there's not much equipment you require. Um, it just depends on your um your your toolbox of exercise and your understanding of exercise. Um, so so I I feel it it, it can be done in that in that fashion. Uh, yeah, I mean I'm not I'm not going to big up an app, but I've I've got. Um, Gymster on my phone, which obviously you can—I don't know if you're familiar with that. So you can just—you no, no. can—you can type in what equipment you have, mm-hmm. ask how many exercises you want, and it'll magically—they'll magically appear, which is really quite useful. So, oh, and that's, that's a free app. I'm not—you know—we're not here to 
yeah. to sell apps, obviously. But in terms of that's might be quite useful if someone's got a kettlebell at home and they're getting bored of doing um, sort of deadlifts with a kettlebell, then you just need to type that in. Say you want five exercises, and five exercises to do with a kettlebell will appear, which is really quite nice. So I think things like that be quite useful for people to yeah definitely to have a thing about change things, do different exercises, challenge yourself a little bit, and you you never know that might continue. Yeah, that's it. I mean, and uh, that that would be good because if you think monotony, and and I guess this this sort of goes on to that some of the challenges of this. So I know we're trying to give solutions, but but this this might be hard for people because they like their current training environments. That's what they've got used to. That's what they like doing. So people who like their strength training might love just having a heavy load and be doing that exercise within a gym environment and people can see how strong they are. Doing it in the garden may not have the same effect. Uh, So it's going to be challenging for individuals. And the other thing is that if this is a a modified or new training stimuli for them, um, they need to be careful of managing this. So there's concerns over the likelihood of them getting getting injuries. So if if these are slightly different from what they're used to, it's whether it's 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 whether they can they can cope with the new, although relatively specific to what they've done before, stimuli, and if that could uh, increase the likelihood of, of injury. Yeah, I guess I guess taking off on that, if we're still going to start recommending unilateral work, and someone has a, a sort of ankle issue, then we the problem is then how are you going to get fixed? You then don't do any exercise, and yeah, um, you will be will that will cause a few issues, I guess. So we've probably got to be aware that suddenly doing a load of plyometric exercises in your back garden off a fifty centimeter box because that's all you can find <laughs> is probably not going to be ideal if you if you're fairly unaccustomed to it. So people just need to be careful of the videos they're watching online of of people who are exceptionally well-trained, who do this for you know, a living. You watch a high jumper or a triple jumper or a long jumper and think that'll be a nice stimulus to add to my back garden routine. And next thing you know, you, your patellas decided to do something that it shouldn't do. So yeah. I think we just need to, people need to be a little bit aware of what we're watching on on sort of YouTube and so on. Yeah, and, and they'll have to be, that's it. They need to be careful not to be too keen because cause some people might have lots of opportunities to train now. And if they are people who are keen on exercise and they know how to bring in this new stimuli, they've got to be careful about managing that overall volume. So they've got to ensure that they can recover from it. So they should really be thinking more than just a day-to-day basis. So how much volume do they want to, to put on the body as a stressor uh, over that time? So it's about they need, they need to um, have some form of, of, of tracking what they're doing. Um, so think about maybe sort of what what is recoverable volume for them so if they are modifying their training what was their training quantity that they used to do and then equivalent wise how much are they going to do in their in their new modified version yeah uh, so i guess for some people they they potential they now can train seven days a week yeah. which they might not have been able to do before there's no commute to work so they can they can train twice a day if they really want to i guess um so just need to be as you say quite aware of their overall volume might be a lot higher to what they've done before which would cause some kind of negative effect on their training at, at some stage which would be a, a little bit of a problem so maintaining some kind of diary on what they've done um, just to have a forcing some rest days in or some or just going out for a walk maybe some recovery days that mm-hmm. again, people might find quite hard because it's, it's available for them to now train 24 7 for some people um throughout the week i guess which is yeah unheard of when we normally have to go to work exactly and that's 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 the one side of it that they've got 
all that luxury and potential opportunity. And then uh, let's not forget that some people, it might be completely different in which they're now at home and they've now in isolation with family and family that mean they can't do what, where they used to have that, that getaway, they could go to the gym, that was their time, they could go and train. Now they're there with a group of people who, who don't want them to train and, and suddenly the, the fun of training uh, and the, how, how they experienced training before it has all gone. So that's it. Some people might be finding it really hard to get, to get training in as well. Yeah, of course, and, um, yeah. And I know we, we said about, about stress earlier, um, as in exercise stress, but um, it, it's thought of more, a lot more now about this concept of life stress. So all stress is pulled together, right? So exercise stimulus is stress within the body, but everything's stress on the body. So your social stress as in your environment that you're in, your anxiety, um, if you're getting adequate uh, sleep or not, all these things lead to overall stress. It seems, well, it's been proposed that they're all pulled together. So we can't just think of one thing in isolation and go, oh, am I coping with that or not? It's uh, This new environment might make it even more challenging. Yeah, good. And and in reality, what what sort of tips might we give those people that can manage twice a week? Just do something twice a week. What would we are we going to go? You just need to go circuit style and just do something for twenty minutes. Would we go? We do strength one day, CV the next, or are we just going to say just do something? Something is always going to be better than nothing, I guess. So if it means you're going to go out for a walk for twenty minutes, just go for a walk. You might try and walk quicker on the way back. Just just something that might provide some kind of stimulus to Ooh, yeah to well, an adaptation. As a saving grace, um, there's, there's lots of research on detraining. Now, now, a lot of it's uh, making a point for extremes uh, in which they have trained individuals and then make them do bed rest and look at how much atrophy occurs and uh, how systems change. And, and it's pretty damning that um, if you become sedentary when you were once an exercising individual, it's a use it or lose it, and it goes, right? However... As a saving grace, it doesn't appear that we need to have the same stimuli in order to hold on to much of our gains. Um, So uh, smart training and, I mean, like small smart training is probably the best way to go. So if it is just that you you don't want to lose everything you've you've done, you don't want to become uh, physically... uh, incompetent i don't want to say that um less able uh then yeah you just need to do small amounts and yeah i, I don't see why a strength saying tra- a, a strength session and a circuit session once a week uh I, I think on those type of individuals it might just be do something and preferably specific to to what they're concerned about um losing adaptations from so if they're an endurance yeah. athlete then some endurance work and maybe make it the intensity that you would work at and forget, don't worry so much about the volume. And similarly for the strength athletes, um, maybe make it relatively um, intense, relative load wise, that is, um, and don't worry so much about the volume. Yeah, yeah, just do something, provide there's a little bit of warm up, get on there, do some hit training, whether it be mm-hmm. intermittent sprints or running up and down the stairs or not 40 centimetre box jumps if you're not unaccustomed, but something that's mm-hmm. <clears throat> relatively easy to do as a sort of major body parts and just keep going and sort of delay that atrophy that we spoke about, which mm-hmm. almost takes us back to the beginning, really, to say about you know, your sort of energy levels. You might have to adjust daily. 
So you might have a, a couple of days where you don't do a lot of exercise, therefore you wouldn't maybe not consume as many calories on the days that you yeah. have got your training blocks in. You might need to adjust it and up it a, a little bit more. Would that be a sensible way to look at it? Or we... Yeah, yeah. So um, generally we could have have a reasonably the same same rule that you want protein distribution across the day. So you can have training days and your recovery days like uh, adaptation to tissue takes time. So this sort of like um, when people spoke about the anabolic window being, oh, I need to try uh, taking protein straight after. It doesn't appear to be the case. It's over 24, 48 hours. So everyone who's just doing a few training sessions a week, I'd advise just protein distribution of the day regardless um so that could be on all days um yes the the overall energy intake should be relevant to to energy expenditure across across your day um so i, I would advise just self-awareness so think about how much you've done and and how much you require food wise and try and distribute it over the day try and avoid mindless eating so you want thoughtful eating and and you mentioned earlier that we discussed before this about um, about your cooking habits. Have have awareness of, of 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 what foods you are making and what you're eating. So this is an opportunity for us to actually cook. So we can actually use whole foods and can prepare meals. Um, try and enjoy making food. Try and prepare your prepare your meals. And you can do some in advance if you find cooking a bit hard work. But at least you've thought about what's in those meals then rather than just throwing something in really quickly and it's and you haven't really considered it. Yeah, yeah. So we all need to be getting our plastic containers and dishing out our three or four meals for the next few days. And then we're, <laughs> we're happy to go on, which will be great use of our plastic again. <laughs> okay, Matt, well, I think we've... We probably covered the first bit on our, our first chat, so I can I can only say thanks for uh, joining us on that. And again, we'll put these links up hopefully um, to the article that you published on rapid weight loss and rapid weight gain in combat sports to get people to have a read, and then might get you back to do uh, another one if that's okay. So yeah, no thanks problem. very much for me. I enjoyed it. And we'll, uh, brilliant. Cheers, mate. Thank you, Mark. Ta.